Today's episode of Behind the Numbers is brought to you by B. Riley Financial. B. Riley Financial's diverse suite of services goes beyond traditional financial service offerings. By leveraging cross-platform expertise and assets, B. Riley Financial companies are uniquely positioned to provide full-service collaborative solutions to our clients at every stage of the business lifecycle and in all market conditions. B. Riley refers to B. Riley Financial Incorporated and or one or more of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a managing director at B. Riley Advisory Services, and I'm also the author of the new ROI, Return on Individuals. And welcome to the show where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. Today, I'm pleased to welcome a colleague of mine, Alicia Massey, who's a senior managing director at B. Riley Advisory Services. Alicia, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thank you, Dave. It's uh, truly a pleasure to be here with you today. Pleasure is mine. My name is Alicia Massey, and I am a Senior Managing Director of of B. Riley Advisory Services. My practice is primarily restructuring and turnaround. We do put a few expert witness uh, projects in there, but primarily automotive restructuring turnarounds. My clients include uh, the large global OEMs, as well as Tier 1, what we refer to as Tier 1, and Tier 2 automotive suppliers. A Tier 1 simply being a supplier that um, will provide parts uh, to the OEM who assembles the vehicle, and the Tier 2 and so on provides the Tier just above it. So a Tier 2 provides a Tier 1, a Tier 3 provides a Tier 2. So I have spent my pretty much my entire career, uh, with the exception of about seven or eight years in the automotive industry. Thanks, Alicia. It's a pleasure to have you here today. So let's talk a little bit about the the automotive industry. You shared something with me in one of our earlier conversations that there's kind of a a unique aspect in the supply chain and the idea that uh, the automotive industry uses a single source for parts. And it seems counterintuitive because most folks would think that you would want to get diversification of suppliers. Why is it that way in the automotive space? Uh, Very good question. There are really uh, two, I would say, two factors that really define uh, how, you know, different an automotive uh, manufacturer and assembler is. And number one, as you mentioned, when they do their sourcing and so being OEM sourcing parts to a tier one, they generally do, as you mentioned, pick a single source. Um, Not all the time. They may be what we call dual sourced on very critical parts, but I would say by and large, they try to do single sourcing because of the expense associated with making tools. So when you think about a car uh, and you think about a door or you think about an instrument panel, um, all of those parts are actually stamped. If they're metal, 
They're stamped in, in uh, metal machines and uh, presses, and then they're usually machined. Um, if it's a plastic part, they are uh, injection molding machines, and there are very uh, significant tools that are actually made out of steel, sometimes aluminum, made out of uh, you know significant metal, and they can run in the millions of dollars if you're doing an entire program, which generally what is what happens. And because it's so expensive, the, um, the way that the OEMs have chosen to deal with most of their parts is through a single source. The other thing that defines automotive uh, as different is what we call just-in-time inventory. This actually began probably in earnest back in the 70s and in the 80s when everyone was trying to become more efficient in the United States. And just-in-time inventory means just that, uh, that the parts from your supplier arrive at the assembly facility just in time to put them on to the assembly line. And that those two things create what is a unique situation um, for, I would say, financial advisory and operational advisory in the automotive space. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you make, that it's not just about the complexities of building a car, but also the, the uh, design of the, not only the vehicle, but the tools involved as well. Uh, you had mentioned a quote that, that I think is fascinating, that you call the, the uh, supply chain in the automotive space a Rubik's Cube of, of logistics. And everything impacts production, whether it's wildfires to tsunamis. Talk about the global supply chain, if you would, Alicia. Yeah, it became, uh, the supply chain became much more global, I would say, at the end of the, uh, this is going to sound old, but the end of the 1900s. So, like, in 1990, the 1990 time frame, uh, what you saw OEMs doing um, and their Tier 1 suppliers is going, if you remember the term low-cost country, um, there were, uh, the idea was to take parts out of the, um, to, take, to take parts out of the um, high-cost countries, and, and it primarily means labor cost, because material costs the same generally, you know, wherever you buy it around the globe whether it's, you know, resins, whether it's materials, et cetera. And, um, and so the, the chain became much more global. And there were many more Asian suppliers. Uh, there were many suppliers, uh, obviously, in Europe already, many suppliers in the U.S. There are also suppliers in Canada and suppliers in Mexico became a very important automotive hub. And, and so you have this very complex um, supply chain to uh, you know make parts up through the tiers and then into the assembly facility and as you mentioned there are um, there are hiccups that can happen and you know there were some significant hiccups that occurred in 2011 if you might remember the uh, Japan tsunami that happened just off the coast just north of Tokyo um, which knocked out, you know, not only Fukushima, but knocked out really all the plants that were in that region. And they produced some very, very important parts 
um, whether it was microchips or specific paints. Um, you know, the thing about automotive industry is everything is engineered really to precision. And there may be some suppliers who are a very important source to the global industry in total. So what happened was with the tsunami is the, there were some supply chain um, there was supply chain issues that created a worldwide sort of shutdown of certain plants. And those when you when you when you have an assembly facility that has to shut down due to supply parts shortages, it costs millions of dollars because if you think about uh, an automotive assembly facility, it's extremely high high fixed cost. So it has you know all the equipment, all the labor, all the the, the facilities, and and everything that goes along with with those costs. So when you have these, I would say, issues in the supply chain, um, it is very very expensive. And so you had not only 2011. I think you had the you had the tsunami, and then you had floods. I believe those floods happened in Malaysia. You had a fire in a very specific um, German supplier who who was not a, a significantly large supplier, but it it supplied certain hoses to almost the entire industry. So um, there there became an increased focus on understanding just where certain bottlenecks could happen. And I think by and large, the, uh, you know, I would say the supply chain is very, very resilient, very resilient. And the OEMs and all the tiers are extremely resilient because they're used to getting parts on time and they will go to extraordinary, um, you know, just extraordinary actions to get those parts there on time. Um, so fast forward uh, to COVID. So if you remember when COVID hit, we had globally, we had the um, shutdown of the global automotive production uh, for roughly two months. And it, it was pretty much around the same time frame. Some may have started earlier than others and some might have started later. Uh, in terms of assembly facilities. And, um, and so those facilities uh, actually were uh, down for two months. And so the whole industry was shut down. So that means the assemblies and also down to every, every tier one. And there was a lot of concern about, you know, how the industry would come up. You know, we had had the vagaries of 2008, 2009, we had the bankruptcies here in the U.S. And, um, and companies were down for a very short period of time. But, um, you know, nothing had occurred like COVID, I think, ever. And, but I would say that the individual countries that, you know, had significant, significant uh, assembly operations were uh, very quick to assemble care packages like we had here on the CARES Act. And uh, we were able to, you know, keep employees, uh, you know, in unemployment benefits that made sense for the time. Uh, 
and we got through the two the two months with all suppliers basically taking their costs down to fixed costs. So they were able to stop all the variable costs. And when we came back up, I would say that we came back up starting in July, maybe June. That's right. It was June for the most part. And it ramped up. The sales ramped up a lot faster than people had expected. Um, and by, I would say, the fourth quarter, we were running at um, the same levels of production that we were running at pre-COVID. So that was the fourth quarter of 2020. But um, as everybody knows, as we as we flipped into 2021, it became more clear that there was going to be some supply interruptions. And the one that probably most everybody is familiar with is the microchip shortage. And, you know, there's only a certain amount of microchip capacity around the globe. Most of that capacity rests in Asia. And um, because everybody was working from home and um, all of a sudden there was a huge demand on microchips for, um, you know, personal computers and all of the activities that sort of surround getting yourself set up to work from home, that um, the microchip shortage became pretty relevant to the OEMs. And as a result, what you saw was a reduction in, uh, in new car production. So just taking the US, for example, we a good year in the US is selling anywhere between 16 and 18 million vehicles, and that would be um, what we call car and light truck. And so uh, last year, I believe we were around, when I say last year, 2021, we were around um, 15 million. And this year, we've been running slightly less in the first half. The, the, the view is that the second half will we'll have more microchips that we will be able to produce more vehicles and maybe thus end the year um, at maybe between 14 and 15. But we've been running, you know, in terms of they, you know, we gauge it every month what our run rates are. Some of the months we've been running really anywhere from 12 to 13 million vehicles if we're selling like a million one per uh, per month. So, but so the, the the view is that the second quarter is going to be higher. But to your point, Dave, um, really there are a lot of um, there's a lot of really interesting things about automotive. One of them is, as you mentioned, the Rubicube of, of logistics, getting parts from all over the world. And those parts, uh, you know, to make a car, we're probably talking anywhere from, you know, depending on the vehicle, you know, 30,000 parts to, you know, 50,000 parts. So it's, it's a lot of parts coming from around the globe. And, um, you know, the important thing about tier ones, just mentioning tier ones for a minute, they're, they, they, they make assemblies. So, for example, you know, if you talk about someone like Lear or Adiant or Forcia, these are all the companies that make your interiors. So your door panels, 
your um, your your dashboard. We refer to it as the instrument panel. Um, you know the the headliners at the top of the car. Um, they make seats. You know these people are making what they call uh, assembly. So they all make and pull together all of the things that are part of. Let's just use an instrument panel as an example. And and so there's a what there's a, an, another part of the I would say supply chain that's that's of of interest. Alicia, why don't you tell folks how they can connect with you if they want to learn more about you or work with you? Uh, my team is primarily financial in nature. We do uh, we we do all of the work around understanding what has happened at a supplier, and uh, you know it typically involves looking at actual financial statements and then doing forecasts and business plans, etc. But what's really important about B Riley is that we have so many other services that we can bring to bear to help suppliers and their customers. Um, so we have a group that is called the um, B. Riley Operations Management Group. We affectionately refer to them as Brahms. And Brahms is headed by a gentleman named Dan Ruskin. And Dan and I go back uh, probably 25 years in the automotive industry. Dan, where, where we do the finance work, Dan does all the operational work. So all the work on the floor of a, of a facility to help with throughput, to help with quality, with help, help with machinery, machinery uptime. Um, and, and he and his team are very effective at turning plants around. Um, and, it, and it can be used for healthy plants, can be used for plants that are somewhat are somewhat distressed, tired, and need, um, you know. A, sometimes you just need a third party to come in and either validate what you're thinking or to point out some new areas that that you can, as a company, focus on. So that's another area that kind of fits hand in glove with the financial restructuring. The other area that is also very important for us is B. Riley has an investment banking arm that really works with us with respect to helping us um, perhaps have a refinancing um, uh, and a capital raise. And, and these are folks who are extremely knowledgeable about the capital markets. And so together we can help with sort of the financing of a supplier, we can help with the understanding the financial uh, aspects of the supplier, what needs to be addressed, whether it needs deleveraging or whether it needs work on the floor. And then we have uh, Dan and his team who help with the um, help with the operational turnaround. So it's Dan Ruskin, D Ruskin, R U S K I N at B Riley. Fin.com, and he can also be found on the website. And we work with Perry Mandarino and also Adam Rosen on the capital market side. So it's a it's a full service platform. The other thing, one other thing I would add is that we also through our um, through our international 
I would say partnerships with BTG, we have the ability to serve clients globally um, throughout Europe and Asia and South America, Mexico and Canada. So all of the very large, um, all of the very large, uh, I would say, automotive hubs throughout the globe, we can assist through our partners um, in those areas. Great. I'm sure Dan appreciates the plug. He's going to be a guest on this program in the coming weeks and months. So uh, thanks for the shout out there. And you did a great job in describing all the different things that B. many of the things that B. Riley does. Uh, I know my colleagues would, would think I was remiss if I didn't mention we happen to have a pretty good valuation practice, too, in helping our clients in valuing their businesses, their intellectual property, machinery and real estate. Uh, Alyssa, yeah, and, and, you know, thank you for reminding me about that. Uh, Dave, that is true. Uh, they also provide services that might be necessary um, in a refinancing, to, so an appraisal of, you know, uh, working capital assets as well as um, fixed assets are is very important. Yeah, Alicia, we're coming down to the short strokes here. So, in about sixty to ninety seconds, can you share the largest restructuring that you've been involved with? The largest restructuring, yes, of course, happy to do it. The largest restructuring I was involved with was the uh, Takata airbag matter. And uh, that took place uh, between the years of 2016 and 2018. Uh, that was an extremely, uh, I would say, in, intense process where um, the Takata Corporation had to go through bankruptcies both in the U.S. and in Japan as a process to uh, go uh, through a sale to uh, another company, which was called Key Safety Systems. Um, and the, the combined entity is now called Joyson Safety Systems. But it took a significant amount of, we, we played the role of, I would say, financial advisor and coordinator of 13, no, it's probably 16 global OEMs, uh, the Takata Corporation, uh, and uh, once the once the uh, purchaser was selected, working with uh, Key Safety. So, and it was global. So we uh, had to travel to Japan a number of times. We had to work um, with. The European teams, there was a significant business in Europe, and it was, um, I would say, one of those capstone cases that one is lucky enough to get in, in their career. And it was, it ended, uh, it, I think it ended as well as could be, ended up in safe hands, and uh, the business continued, the employees kept their jobs, and importantly, the industry kept a very important player um, uh, still involved in the in the supply chain. Great. Alicia, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we're out of time here on Behind the Numbers, but I want to thank you for joining us today. It's been great having you with us. Yes. Thank you, Dave. And we've been talking today with mm -hmm. Alicia Massey, Bye -bye. who's a Senior Managing Director at B. Riley Advisory Services. Again, my name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a Managing Director at B. Riley Advisory Services. And I'm the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, please do reach out. I'm always happy to have a conversation. And thank you at home for watching and listening. We can't do this show without you. 
please hit the subscribe button so that you can stay in touch with us and all that we're up to. And that's all we have here for you today, folks. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Today's episode of Behind the Numbers is brought to you by B. Riley Financial. B. Riley Financial's diverse suite of services goes beyond traditional financial service offerings. By leveraging cross-platform expertise and assets, B. Riley Financial companies are uniquely positioned to provide full-service collaborative solutions to our clients at every stage of the business lifecycle and in all market conditions. B. Riley refers to B. Riley Financial Incorporated and or one or more of its subsidiaries or affiliates. 